Welcome to Episode 5 of We Are All Americans, conversations about how family stories are passed down from generation to generation and what it means to be American in the context of multiculturalism, immigration, military service, Black Lives Matter, white privilege, and indigeneity. I'm your host, Michelle Jacquis, and I'm here with Joshua Beliso in one of the recording studios at Otis College of Art and Design in the Westchester neighborhood of Los Angeles. And Joshua, maybe we can start with um, how you decided you wanted to participate in this project. Okay. Um, first of all, hello. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, it was one of those things where, you know, you're just scrolling through Instagram and you're just like, oh, what's going on here? And uh-huh. so I read the caption. I'm like, that sounds really interesting. And I'm, first of all, I also want to say I've been listening to more and more podcasts lately, too. So the opportunity to be a part of one also is really interesting oh, initially, not good, even good. just the topic, but just like to be a part of one because mm. I've just started kind of going podcast crazy at home, you know, besides like YouTube videos and all that other stuff. <laughs> but, um, nice. So and then the topic of family and how specifically um, family history. And I've been actually dealing with a lot of that uh, recently as of because I, I in the last uh I think in November around that time uh, was when my uh, father's, my grandmother passed away. Mm-hmm. So we started to go through all her stuff and her boxes and crates and whatever she had. And all this family history started coming out. And so it kind of seemed perfect to like talk about it. What what some of the notable things you've come across? Um, just like all her random like liquor things and she doesn't even drink but she had so much liquor you know uh, weird <laughs> my little grandparents stuff, had that you know? too I remember being really surprised and right? I feel like it was just something that that generation felt like you have to have a stock mm-hmm. to liquor cabinet for entertaining yeah. guests but and like the old 70s glasses and bartending tools yeah. and even the glass grapes you know that you'd like see <laughs> yes. you know there's glass grapes and then she had this doll cabinet that had, like, all these dolls that could, from, like, Barbies from, like, the 80s wow. and stuff to, like, other dolls. I think I kept one. Um, but there's just all this stuff. Uh, Disney dolls, too, like old Mickeys and stuff. Wow. Things like that. Um, we'd find photo albums, of course. Like, she had this one toolbox that was filled with, like, silver dollars and, like, coins. And so she had, like, just stuff randomly tucked away. I mean, she was a big gardener, too, so she had, mm. like, seeds that she was like working on and like little rooted things that she had in her in some of her bedrooms so how old was she when she died she was in her late 80s okay. um so like probably 87 88 yeah like that. yeah how long had she lived in that house as long as i'd known her yeah so good while you know it was over in torrance um she was i mean as long as i've you know known her she's only lived in torrance mm. um and uh, like when i was coming up I actually grew up like a few blocks away so it was very close by so I used to go back and forth all the time like literally just two or three blocks away over off of um off of like Prairie and Torrance okay yeah I know where that is Prairie and 185th so you're really close to her you grew up like spending a lot of time with her yeah especially I mean both grandparents but her because she was like geographically close Mm -hmm. and then funny enough later on when I moved away with my family to a different location then I moved actually close to my other grandma so I've always been close to a grandma that's really nice no matter where I go yeah yeah and how many generations had your family lived in in Southern California um well I guess they my my father's parents the ones 
from Torrance, they were they, they just came here during like right after World War Two. Okay. Um, and so I guess my dad would be like the first generation. Okay. Right? And where were they from? Um, the Philippines, actually. Oh, okay. So my grandmother was born in Hong Kong, but raised in the Philippines. Uh-huh. And um, after the Japanese occupation, um, and then the Allies, uh, I guess, came in and took care of all that, they were able to come over here. Mm-hmm. But um, my grandma wasn't like married over there. She was still pretty young. She got married over here in the States later on. But the funny part about that is that my grandfather lived across the street from her in the Philippines, and they didn't know it. They met here. They met here. Wow. But they lived in the same, like, neighbor. They were, like, neighbors. That's amazing. You know? That's really cool. So, and it's like, what? <laughs> it, <laughs> took that, so cool. it took the war for you guys to meet, kind of a thing. And to go to another country. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, all in Southern California. Wow. Yeah. And then... Did they realize, like, did they end up having friends in common from back there? Or was, or was yeah. it was really just across? So um, they had a friend, which would be, like, I guess my uncle Ralph, who um, married into the family um, with my grandma's sister, Betty, who's uh-huh. she's the 92-year-old. Okay. So, and I guess he, like, my grandfather had a really bad case of, like, I was like, it's like appendicitis, or whatever, and it's like a, pep, you know, so he could, he was like a... He was, like, a sailor. He worked on cargo ships, uh-huh. and so he couldn't go on his next, like, trip across wherever. And so he had to stay back, and he was friends with, uh, like, my Uncle Ralph. Or I don't even actually know if he's technically my uncle, but we called him Uncle Ralph. Like, everyone called him Uncle Ralph. He's Uncle <laughs> Ralph. So, and he's, like, one of those guys that you go to when you have a problem. Like, whatever it is, car, anything, Ralph, legal, whatever. Handler. He's, like, a, he's a handler. So, um, <laughs> The cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, like, take care of you. Um, so... He, like, hosted him, put him in his house, whatever, and um, that's how he met um, his, like, I guess, his wife's sister, which was mm. my grandma. Okay. Therese. That's so cool. Yeah. Or Teresa, yeah. But, yeah, so it's, uh, and he, he's, like, all Spanish. Um, and my grandma is, like, Portuguese. Okay. You but you know. said she was born in? Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. Yeah. Interesting. But raised in the Philippines. Yeah, and it, so was her her fam, or her, was it then your great grandparents that were from Portugal? Uh, or was it? I'm assuming so. Yeah. Um, but I don't know exactly how far that even goes back there. I mean, I've seen photos of them. Yeah. Uh, and some names and like. Um, it's like. Do you know the story of how they ended up in Hong Kong? I don't know how they ended up in Hong Kong actually, but I know that why they kind of left. Um, to go to the Philippines yeah. um, because I guess my grandma's parents were kind of almost like a, one of those like couples that weren't like supposed to be a couple like because of like whatever like family placement and like their families weren't really supposed to get together so uh-huh. they had they left because they wanted to be together it was one of those like romance stories oh, kind wow. of things so if we can't do it here with everybody else we're just going to leave and do our own thing so they left to the Philippines and did their own thing. They left their whole family. Pretty much. For love. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. And they had like six daughters. Wow. Like all daughters, yeah. So there's like six sisters. It's all the sisters. And so that's kind of like how everything started on my dad's side. Hmm. So the six sisters that came over. Mm-hmm. And the, the, set of grand, the other set of grandparents that you said you moved closer to, mm-hmm. are they also on your dad's side? Or your mom? That's your mom's that's side? That's my mom's side. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 
and that's like a whole another thing. Like I think my grandmother's mother came from like Lithuania, and then my grandfather on that side, like my mom's dad, um, his parents uh, or his mom came from like Romania, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's a little bit like more like Eastern. Yeah, that's where my mom's side is all. A whole bunch of parts of Eastern Europe where the borders change a lot and nobody agrees where they're from. There's like Russian, there's like Romanian, Lithuanian, and then, uh, and I I guess, except for like, um, there's also like Scots Hmm. and like Hmm. like Irish Scots and English, a little bit over on that side too. (laughs) So it's a little all over the place. So we were talking before we started recording about sort of how stories get passed down and might change from Mm -hmm. generation to generation. Do you have an example of of that in your family where you question the, I guess, the truthfulness of a story or how exaggerated it might have gotten? Well, yeah, because I've even, like, even this this morning, I was trying to, like, clear up some facts. Like, because it's like, I was talking to my mom about a specific individual that we're, we were, we've been traced back to be related to, um, William the Bruce, uh, who's part of, like, this Scottish, like, group. Um, mm-hmm. According to, like, my mother, he was just kind of like a renegade asshole. Like, he would just go around and just, like, pillage and do his whole medieval thing. And then, according to my grandmother, he was that, but also a king. Wow. So I don't know if you... Uh, but it's like, you can look up this guy, and so his name's William Bruce. He was just kind of, like, a nasty man from... Scotland back in the day <laughs> like who has how, who has like, created this reputation for being like like basically ruthless wow. like killing murdering taking whatever he wants kind of a thing how did you all come across him or did, and figure out that he was a relative my uncle Don got really into this kind of like family tree stuff yeah and he's the one who first told us about him and he's since passed a couple years ago but he, he he's he's like an old beatnik from the 60s my uncle Don, who used yeah. to—he was a bongo player and used to play in like the clubs, nice, like the espresso clubs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> With the beat poetry, yes, awesome. things like that. Um, so he's the one who first like stuck, got really into it, looked it up, um, and then we all kind of um, did our, some of the research of our own. But like, I guess it's just kind of a little different from like how my grandma sees it, from how my mom sees it, and even though the information isn't like coming from that far away of the source, huh. so. So, were you talking to your mom today to clarify it? Mm Mm-hmm. And what did she say? She said, uh, yeah, she didn't think he was, like, straight royalty. It's not like, like, um, he's just got, like, that reputation that kind of brings him up to that, like, I guess, level of recognition. Because people would, like, know him for that. It sounds almost like an equivalent to, like, our modern, like, mob or, or... Gang, yeah, right? something like, like that. Somebody in charge who's yeah, got just like power a, like and a, reputation and mm-hmm. puts fear in people. Probably had some, like you know, some people working behind him, like some <laughs> little group. He's like cowboy or something. <laughs> <laughs> Scottish cowboy. That's fascinating. What do you think about what it means to be an American? Oh, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I almost feel like it's a little bit of everything. Like, we have, like, I mean, to be an American, for me, right now, I guess, like, my experience as an American is, like, I have 
so much culture around me from other places mm -hmm. too. It's like not just like when you when you visit another country, there's a lot of that culture just like everywhere. You know, I mean, there's other stuff too because um, there's history everywhere. But here, especially being like a big city like LA, mm -hmm. it's like you're just around so many different people constantly that you it's not like it's 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 like the melting pot really like they say it is yeah well in the sense that yeah. like other places like scotland could be thought of as a more homogenous culture they didn't have as much immigration that right that we have now yeah. or i feel like certain parts of europe are they're starting to get the immigration happening mm -hmm. that we had decades ago and right. centuries ago yeah like every, it's i mean it, it's happening everywhere like pretty much but it's like I feel like it's already really happened a lot here mm -hmm. and then there's just so much like from all the little communities we have the little parts of town and then even you can just look at food too yeah like, just look at the way everything's being made now and everything's fused together and I just heard about this new like Mexican Chinese fusion they're doing in New York now and like all this other stuff and I'm just <laughs> like what is that gonna be like it's hilarious because I never thought about it in this way but it does make like my grandfather was ahead of his time I guess he, when he um, retired he and they moved from New York to South Florida and they were um, you know doing what retired people do like and he took mm -hmm. a cooking class he wanted to learn Chinese cooking and there's this like joke sort of stereotype that all Jews go to get Chinese food on Christmas because it's the only restaurant open Right on. <laughs> Which sort of, it's sort of like one of these like stereotypes, jokes, but it's kind of accurate. Mm -hmm. And so my grandfather really liked Chinese food, and he wanted mm -hmm. to get learn how to cook it. But then he started combining. He would make wonton matzo ball soup. Whoa. Which is totally like not kosher because of the pork in the right. wontons, but he that sounds super good though. It was really good. It's like, yeah, I mean dumplings and anything in the matzo ball. That's like kind of a dumpling. It's yeah, like a big, it is. It's, it's like sort a big of, noodle ball. It's like a dump. Well, it's not even a noodle. It's just matzo meal. Right. Okay. It's so just, it's just like, like a big dough ball. ball. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. I never thought about it. I mean, I sort of got that he was making this like hybrid food, but I never thought about it in terms of mm -hmm. contemporary f fusion cooking. That, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a perfect example of, like, I think about all that <laughs> stuff. It's like, that's, that's far out. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty awesome. It was good. What do you think about, like, what's happening now with the U.S. and immigration policy and refugee crisis and all of it? I, I think everything is, I think it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, to the best of my understanding, I'm not... 100% like fully like involved obviously like I'm sitting from like a side note watching everything that's happening because mm -hmm. I was born here this is you know, it's like it's not like a first hand experience to me mm -hmm. in complete mm -hmm. ways but um but even in some little ways it affects the family a little bit um like even okay so Stevie my daughter mm -hmm. her mom is still not a citizen mm -hmm. she's from Argentina mm -hmm. and even like a few years ago when she was trying to come back from visiting her family in Argentina um, and she was held, she was like taken to the side and they almost didn't let her go, go through oh, and things like yeah. that and it was like really scary little ordeal for like a minute but it did work out because she does have a green card and all that stuff mm -hmm. like um, and her mom is a citizen and even like her grandmother I think is a citizen here mm. so she's the only one who's not kind of um, so but um, that was just something that she hasn't decided to like pursue can you get 
dual citizenship between U.S. and Argentina? I think she would have to renounce her you, Oh, it's one of the ones you'd have to... Yeah. Yeah, which is a hard thing, yeah. I've imagined, to make that choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, it's too, also, because, like, you know, she can't vote here now, even though she has... She's... Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny. Like, she's one of the people that probably should vote. She's one of the most opinionated people I know. <laughs> like, she's got something to say about everything. Um, and that's probably good in a lot of ways, but it's like, she should totally be on the voting side. But she, I think, voted for the first time when she went back as a 20-something-year-old in Argentina. Oh, she had never... She had never voted, voted because mm. she's been living here since she was seven. Ah, uh, yeah. she can only vote down there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so How that, did was, she, that was exciting for her. So she came <laughs> as a child with her parents? Yeah. Do you know that story of how they decided to come here? They came here because the economy in Argentina started to go way down after, um, I think, the power was shifting away from, like, the, it was like a, a military state kind of for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think that was shifting away. And so it got really tough for them. They think he opened up, uh, her dad opened up, like, a like a rotisserie chicken store down there that didn't do well. But he's, like, an old soccer player, actually. So oh, his wow. name is um, Alfredo Angelo. I don't know if anybody follows old Argentinian soccer, but he was, like, a big name in the 70s wow. <laughs> um, so but after that fame for, I mean you, you're not an athlete forever right you have you to retire something into something else. and so he opened up like a rotisserie chicken shop which didn't end up doing that well but it was called El Pollo Crazy instead of like El Pollo Loco here it's like wow, El Pollo that's Crazy <laughs> that's so funny that that existed in another country right <laughs> that's great do you think El Pollo Loco here knew about that place I don't know. Or is it just totally coincidental? I mean, I feel like, because I don't, I mean, there weren't, there wasn't more than one. He just had one and he had one, one. In a chain. Yeah. And so that's kind of like where it started. Like, she used to tell me stories about how she would, like, hang in the back room, like, after school and stuff, and there would just be, like, some couches and stuff, and she'd hang in the back room of the, the, the chicken shop. Yeah. And, um, but eventually that closed down, and then they came up here, and they literally had to start from, like, nothing. They were doing, like, janitorial work. Wow. You know, so we went from, like, super, like, fly soccer player to, like, rotisserie chicken man to uh, just, like, whatever he can get his hands on. Yeah. Work-wise. And the mom, too. And um, so that was a really, actually, big deal for him because he didn't, he had too much pride. He had a lot of trouble with that. He ended up actually, um, he's back in Argentina now. Mm. He just didn't really, like couldn't really do the whole states thing. He didn't even want to learn English. Wow. Which is, I mean, it's just, it would have made it a lot easier for him, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because, like, even Spanish, like, Argentinian Spanish is different from, like, the Spanish that you're typically used to in L.A. Yeah. I mean, I learned Spanish in South Florida, so it was mostly from Cubans. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I moved here, and it would come up mostly, like, with students. They would be like, oh, that's not Spanish. <laughs> Well, there's also a ton of Argentinians in Florida, too. Like, yeah, it's yeah, huge. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. because it's on the east. But, yeah, it's that um, dialect and just even pronunciation mm-hmm. and intonation is different. Like the double L mm-hmm. is so different. It's like shh instead of, like, the Y sound. Like, instead of quesadilla, it's quesadisha. But that's only, I think, in Argentina. Right, in, exactly. Not, yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know, like, also I feel like in, I mean, I don't remember it enough. My Spanish is really bad, but the there's sort of like a in in Cuban Spanish, it's sort of everything is more musical and kind of blurred together. There's not, it's not very 
um, precise pronunciation in terms of, like, I feel like some people say it's harder to understand because it's sort of all fast and blur the words kind of blend together. Mm -hmm. But I found, because I learned that, I have an easier time responding to okay. it when I hear that accent versus when I hear the accents that we hear in Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. Plus also, like... That's interesting. In L.A., yeah. nobody in a grocery store or whatever, you know, they're... The cashier might be speaking Spanish to every single customer, and I get up there and say, hola, and they just start immediately speaking English to me. Yeah. Because of what I look like <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And whereas in Miami, they're like, I don't care what who you are, what mm -hmm. you look like, we're going to speak Spanish to everybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I can, I, I don't know, mine is, it's bad. Like, I can, I feel like by the time I sort of translate in my head what's been said and think what I need to say back, the conversation has moved on. Yeah, I'm not. Like I'm not the best. I'm not good at it. At is, is your daughter growing up to speak both English and Spanish? She uh, she's learning a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, she's still learning just how to say like little things. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, she's got a pretty good power for an almost two year old. She turns two in August, so she's almost there. That's cool. She's doing pretty good. It seems like that's a good age to yeah. for kids to be multilingual to yeah. learn it that early. She's kind of breaking little things. Like, like she'll do, she'll say like C sometimes, you know, or for like abuela, she'll do like Abby because uh -huh. she can't really say yeah. abuela. Yeah. Uh, little things like that. And I think my son's first, there. one of his first words was Aya. Okay. And I didn't remember what that meant at first and thought it was just babbling. And then I was mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, he's pointing and he's saying over there, like I get it now. And then he, and then he also was saying agua. Oh, yeah, yeah. Instead, before he said water. Mm -hmm. I think it's just easier. Sometimes I think it just depends on the kid, too. It's like some like letters are easier to pronounce. Yeah. Or some words yeah. have different, you know, so agua might be easier than water. Mm-hmm. Like, just, mm -hmm. it's just they're more natural and, like, your whatever, your chords. <laughs> yeah. Or something. Have you or... Anyone in your family experienced any uh, discrimination or any sense of um, the opposite of that, of sort of recognizing that there's a privileged situation because of who you are or what you look like? I mean, de uh, def a, little, a little bit of both. Um, like, here in the States, like, absolutely, like, definitely, like, privilege in a lot of ways. Um, but um, I guess before we get there, like, Going back with, like, my grandfather, I mean, he was even experiencing all that back in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, especially like, when the Japanese came over and stuff, like, they just, like, hated it. They, like, terrorized everybody. Mm -hmm. Which actually kind of developed almost a problem with him about the Japanese. Yeah. So now he's got, like, this chip on his shoulder about the Japanese because of all the problems they created for him and his family mm -hmm. in the Philippines during the war. And so when you come over to the States, and it's funny because it's like he lived, he grew up in actually a pretty Asian neighborhood in Torrance, you know, um, and, you know, even eating a lot of, like, the same kind of, like, foods and stuff, like all the Japanese markets, curries and all that stuff. It's like it was always in our house, like the sticky rice, all those mm -hmm. things, like the buns, the baos and stuff. My grandma used to make that stuff all the time, more almost like more like on that Chinese side. But, um, but yeah, he always had, like, a, like a weird thing. And we, I swear... And most of the people in the family, like, there is, like, some Asian in that side, but they won't admit to it. Oh, really? Like, if you look at a picture of my grandma, she looks like a little Asian woman. It's like, 
you sure you're only Portuguese hmm. kind of a thing, but none of them will admit to it. Um, Why do you think that is? I don't, I don't know. Huh. I mean, maybe because of, like, what happened and, like, the trauma of yeah. the experience um, that they went through. Like, my grandfather's whole family was essentially murdered by the Japanese. Yeah. And he spent the remainder of his years in the Philippines before he immigrated into the States, essentially hiding outside of bars, killing like drunken sailors, drunken soldiers, and throwing them into the harbor wow. to get eaten by the sharks before the daylight. Wow! For like a while, because he was just like at that point, you have like nothing left. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't. He didn't. You know, and it's because of things like that makes it kind of explain like why he didn't talk much. He wasn't a big talker. He was never a huge talker to the family. He just joked. He would hide fruit in your bags and do, like, weird stuff. But he was, like, a big joker, um, but relatively, like, solemn. And, like, I feel like he had a lot of anxiety. Like, he always, like, when a lot of family gatherings, he would always kind of be off to the side. It was in the too back. much. It was just, like, he was never really, like, a big, like, I'm the life of the party kind of guy. Yeah, wow. So, like, it makes kind of sense, like, that little bit. And then with my grandma, I mean... Her family, for the most part, was okay. They just had to, like, live in the ground for, like, a while. Like, they lived in, like, a foxhole. In the Philippines? In the Philippines, you know, because it was, like, the best place to be away from, like, what she would say, like, the snipers would always be out, and you mm-hmm. wanted to stay underground because you never knew who was in a tree. Wow. Kind of a thing. So I think they all kind of developed, like, this complex about being Asian or being, like, around Asian, like, cultures after that in a weird way. So... I think they, which is kind of funny because uh, one of like my aunt, my dad's sister, she married into a Japanese family. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Um, but you know. And were your grandparents cool with it or? Um, not I, right I, th- I mean, my grandfather was gone before. Mm-hmm. Like I think most of that was. Uh, but yeah, I think they're okay. Like you know, um, I mean, after a certain amount of time, I mean, like I feel like a lot of time to pass. I mean, she was in her 20s. Like, it's been, like, a long time since, like, that initial... But, like, I think she was... They were okay with it at that point. But uh, it was a little weird, I think, for them in some ways still. Like, he still had to, like, do a lot, I think, to earn my grandpa's, like, approval kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the best ways to do that is, like, you know, he had, like, bring him a glass of scotch and, like, sit down and talk with him kind of thing. That was, like, his thing. Yeah. Um... But I guess on the flip side, coming from, like, like you know, a mostly, like, European kind of white side, you know, living in a place uh, like Manhattan Beach, yeah. you know, that's definitely a place of privilege, you know. Yeah. Um, just that school community, the way that the city is set up, there's so much you... It's like living in a bubble. Really? It's so far removed from, like, the reality of L.A. and, like, other parts of the community. It's, like, ridiculous. <laughs> There's actually a cartoon that somebody in Manhattan Beach started, an illustrator guy, called The Bubble on Instagram. And if you follow it, it's, like, about how we are so separated from, like, the issues that are really going on. It's, it's, it's kind of funny. Do, and do you think that's because of the racial makeup of the neighborhood or and the town or more class? I think it's class, but I think that both of those have to because it's, like, we don't have a huge amount of diversity. Like, as much as you'd think, uh, you know, at this point we'd be around. I mean, yeah, there's people who come in from Manhattan Beach, but the people that actually live there, it's, like, not as diverse as you, even in our schools. Really? Like, they're not that diverse of a school system. Like, I think there was, like, one black kid, couple black kids, like, out of a whole, like, school, like, one of my high school. There, uh, you know, and a handful of, like, Asian, Indian, other, you mm-hmm. know, 
other groups of people. Uh, it, it, there wasn't a huge amount, not like at some other schools where it's just like there's everybody. Yeah, like you Culver know? City, I feel like, is one of the ones, or school districts, where mm-hmm. you look at their the demographic pie chart, and it's it's like diverse in terms of the multiplicity of peop- types of people as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, I feel like some people think diversity just means non-white, but if it's still majority Latino or majority African Americans, that's not very diverse because mm-hmm. there's a majority of one culture right. or race. But yeah, Culver City feels like it's like every single of part of the pie chart is there. That's cool. But but yeah, yeah I didn't realize yeah. that about Manhattan Beach. Yeah, not a whole lot. And then even like my friends that were like more Hispanic, whatever, they were there on permit from like Inglewood or Lawndale or Hawthorne. Uh, it's like they weren't even part. They didn't live in Manhattan Beach. They were going to school there on permits Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so those are like some of the other like friends that I would have that were just um, but that's even more about like why Manhattan Beach is still kind of like that bubble and it's I don't know what exactly I know that there's definitely like a degree of um, like it's like I I know it's probably a lot lot of it is economics like Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people there it's expensive to live next to the beach it's expensive to live next to the beach or even like live next to like in a city next to the beach sometimes but it's uh yeah it was very much like that growing up for me Mm -hmm. in high school and middle school and stuff but I did go for a period of time to a private school in Culver City actually um before I transferred back into the public school system in Manhattan Beach and it was like what you said there was Mm. all sorts of like people already there. It was like weird. It's like why is Culver City's maybe it's like it's like a meeting point or something. I have friends who talked about it now as like the new Beverly Hills because it's so expensive to live there now compared it's, it's, to what it was like 15 20 actually. years ago. They really built it up. Actually, yeah. Even the downtown part. But it's um yeah, I wonder if it is about geography that mm-hmm. it's 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 still considered the west side, but it's it's at this intersection of, you know, Englewood to the south of yeah. it, um, Baldwin Hills and Ladera Heights on the east of it, and mm-hmm. and then Venice. Like, what's north of Culver City is just sort of L.A. I don't know what neighborhood mm-hmm. it's considered. Maybe Palms and right. Mid-City. Right, Mid-City, getting close yeah. to that. Oh, and then there's, like, that Saltel area where there's that... Um, that Majority Japanese. Yeah. 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 It's almost like another little Tokyo. I know. Yeah, I, like I used I to like live way better than the, on Sotel, but further south. But we used to go there a lot in that that neighborhood. Yeah, I love that little strip. My favorite ramen joint in LA is like over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this this question actually has has a little bit more weight when I ask it to parents than it does to anybody else. But what what are you fearful of, and what are you hopeful of? Just like in general, mm-hmm. like my fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a parent, it doesn't have to be as a parent. It could or be just, just as a general. person. But I think that but it is a lot. I mean, as a parent, like you generally have a major focus now. Yeah, <laughs> and that's like your number, your number one sort of thing. It's like um, my major, I guess, worry is is just being able to provide well enough. At this point, like mm. I'm still in school technically, like I'm about to start again, you know, yeah. like that, um, and just to maintain, because uh, I mean, outside of Otis, like you know, it, it, it's been all crazy, you know. Outside of you know, you get your BFA and then you're just working all these random weird jobs, you know, artist 
assistant here, whatever. Yeah. You try to do as many shows as you can and just keep making work alongside all the regular job stuff, like, you know, working, I mean, I was a server, I was, like, a bakery manager for, like, this paleo-vegan company that was, like, probably one of the most overpriced cakes I've ever seen. <laughs> they were, like, six-inch, three-stack cakes that were, like, $75 with, like, a $45 delivery charge, so it was, like, a $100 cake. Wow, it was really yeah. small. Wow. <laughs> um... Things like that, you know, finding consistency for her now, because it's like it's easy to get by like that as a kid. You can kind of do whatever you want and make it through. Like you're pretty resilient. You can. But all of a sudden, when it. you're responsible for somebody, yeah. in addition to yourself, and when daycare costs like twelve hundred dollars a month, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like whatever it is, depending on how old your kid is, it's it's like paying like for two apartments or two whatevers or you yes. know, two car payments yeah. or whatever you know, however it works out for you. But it's just like. Now I'm like, how do I make this work, like, continually, you know, mm-hmm. not just, like, one month at a time, but, you know, now you want, like, consistency. You want, like, something, like, stability in some way. Yeah. So yeah. that's probably one of my biggest fears is finding that stability. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And still being, like, happy with what I'm doing. I mean, it's, like, you know, one of those things, like, you know, when you have kids, people are like, oh, you give up your dreams. You do that. It's like, do you have to give up no, your dreams? No, I don't dreams? think like, so. You know, I think that has... That's like my dad, right there. Like my dad, like straight up, always went with the comfort route versus like what he wanted to do. Yeah, I, I, my father too. I think I, I've always been told this story about how he, he and my mom met in college, and she studied elementary education because her parents told her that was a nice career for a young mm-hmm. lady, and she didn't know what else she wanted to do. And he was studying art education because he really wanted to be an artist, and was probably thinking the safe route. Um, but then he got drafted and went to Vietnam. And then he, when he came back is when they met. And he, but his dad worked in the Chevy factory in Buffalo, New York. And my father worked in the Chevy factory. And my mom's parents were in New York City and trying to convince my father, like, you want to be an artist, you got to come to New York. Like, don't stay in Buffalo. And the story that I was told, and now I, I'm not sure my father agrees, but I remember being told this, that his father was like, Chevy's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. And then I, yeah. my, but my father yeah. has said that, like, when my sister and I were born, he, he gradually took a managerial position because he knew he needed more money and mm-hmm. gradually stopped making art and was really unhappy until he right. got back to it. That's my fear. Right and my there. parents are divorced. <laughs> yeah. Like, I see it as, like, that was probably the downfall of, one of the downfalls of their relationship was, like, him not being able to do yeah. what fulfilled him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for me, with my dad, I, he is, he's a, he's an insurance company. Like, he was a claims manager. Yeah. Like, that's what he did, basically, for 20-some years until he was kind of, there was an awkward story about that part, but he was kind of forced into retirement by the company, but that's mm. a whole other story. Um, but basically it's like, so as a kid, I like, it's like he just constantly paperwork, paperwork, stacks of paperwork. He would come home, he would leave at like 6.30 in the morning and come home at like 11 and he still does this. It's crazy. It's like, and it's just like always paperwork. I'm just like, you spent like so much of your life just filling out forms and I just like don't want to do the same thing. Yeah. That's like. You won't. I don't want to (laughs) stick, I don't want like, yeah, I just feel like. Because he has all these ambitions and interests, but it's like he never gets to do it. And I'm just like, that's so sad. Yeah. Well, pursuing graduate yeah. school for art 
is going to, so long as you keep making art when you finish yeah. grad school, you won't take that path. You know, you're yeah. already going in a different direction. Right, right. And I think part of that is probably because of his influence as a kid and like how impactful like seeing him deal with that stuff mm-hmm. as a kid really pushed me to not want to do that and not want to work with like in, it, computers in a different way. I mean, he was he was like uploading data. Versus, yeah. like, you know, people who are designing things, you know. But it's, like, I definitely, I mean, it's probably on the sculpture. It's, like, I'm, like, the complete opposite. I build shit. Yeah. Versus, like, you you know, <laughs> it's, like, I, I make sure, especially working with, like, stone as a primary medium, it's, like, it's, like, as close as I can get to, like, a mountain. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. It's, like. Yeah, that's a really good way to think about it. Yeah. So, you didn't answer the other part. How, yeah. what are you hopeful for? Oh, what am I hopeful for? Um just the next stage I'm excited about you know uh, I'm hopeful to um, watch my daughter grow uh, you know be able to like incorporate her into like this side of me like you know my artistic part of my life mm-hmm. um, I, I mean I've always wanted to be one of those like kind of uh one of those dads that will like bring their kids with them to like the openings and shows and stuff and like yeah. you know get them involved like as soon as they can kind of be involved yeah um, I look forward to pursuing that career and seeing where it leads me. I don't know where it's going to end up, whether, you know, I'm going to be teaching mm-hmm. or I'm going to be doing, right, teaching, working, and something else, maybe public works. I don't know. I mean, I've always, like, been really intrigued by that, especially working with Stone, who has such a history of, like, public monumental, like, size yeah. work. It's yeah. like, I've been, like, I'm like... If only I can afford like one of those big pieces of rock and get going. It's like that'll take me a little bit of time, but it's like it's always been something that I'm really been wanting to like work out the details of, like a big scale project. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share that we haven't talked about? Um, you know, right off the top of my head, um, I'm still really intrigued about that whole like matzo ball wonton thing, <laughs> and I still like want to see more of that happening. I guess that's what I'm excited for the future to see how things continue to do that how things merge yeah yeah like especially with food i mean i'm like a huge food person it's like i research the crap out of food i listen to like all sorts of food information things because i think that that like that's a big influence too on like what's going on in a lot of ways you can mm-hmm. see what's going on like, that's one of my favorite ways of getting to know like people are like you know i getting to know a culture is obviously like through their food whenever you travel somewhere it's like you go eat as much as you can in different places and you generally meet like a ton of people that mm-hmm. like have like fun stories and like interesting you s- things. You were saying your grandparents always sort of incorporated things like sticky rice and other Asian mm-hmm. foods. Did they? Did you grow up also eating anything Portuguese? Yeah, um, I mean, my grandma would. Um, I mean, well, sh- we did a lot of stuff. Okay, so we had like this. There's the sticky rice, the egg rolls, the curry, and then she would do, like, the adobo, which is actually more Filipino. Mm-hmm. Like, the adobo mm-hmm. and then, like, the different kind of noodle things. And then, like, the ice creams, like, the weird, funky Filipino ice creams, which were, like, yams and, like, cheese and corn ice cream and, like, um, avocado ice cream a lot, which is uh, more popular now than it was back then. Yeah. But, like, these are all things that you had to, like, go to, like, specific, like, I've markets had to corn get. ice cream, but not with cheese in it. I mm-hmm. don't know. Maybe it had cheese in it and I didn't know it, but... Yeah. Well, like, it's, it's, they definitely make it all now. Like, you can go to, like, all the crazy, like, ice cream shops now. Yeah. In LA and well, like, this was actually, I think, came with, like, Thai takeout. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think we like ordered that. a different kind of ice cream, but the corn the was corn what arrived. And yeah. I was like, huh, this is good. And then a lot of the times, like, they'll put it in bread. Like, actually put, like, a scoop of ice cream, like, in a sweet roll. And you eat it like a sandwich. Like, an ice cream oh. sandwich is, like, actually yeah. bread. Oh, you wow. Know, versus, like, a cookie. Yeah, that's good. So. There's a place, there's an ice cream place in Atwater that has a lot of those types of flavors. Like, it's mm-hmm. a really interesting mix of things from Asia, but also things from Latin America. It's great. Yeah, it's like, sometimes it's like, you're really surprised. You're like, this shouldn't work, but you know, damn it, it fucking works. It's great, actually. It's it's like, wow, yeah. okay. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, so that's like, I think one of my favorite things to experience is like those kind of little surprises. Um, yeah, it seems, I think that's also one of the things that I really love about Los, living in Los Angeles is that we can't, like I, one of my in-laws, I remember one time when they were visiting, they're from outside of Boston, and I remember them wanting to go out to eat and wanting American food, and my husband and I thinking, I don't even know what that is. Like, yeah. <laughs> we go, we could take you to Thai or Japanese or Ethiopian or whatever, like, just listing all the different options, and they were just like, can we just get American food? And I was like, I guess, I don't know. You can get a burger or something. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, I just want a classic, like, warm apple pie and, like, a meatloaf or something. Yeah. (laughs) At one point, I think my husband one day was like, we should find a Chili's. And we had to drive, like, to Monrovia to to find a Chili's, Chili's, right? There wasn't one, you know? Yeah. I think there might be one in Torrance. That's interesting. There is. Um, I think that there's a lot of those restaurants by, like, malls. Yeah, but they're not as common... I feel like here than yeah. in other places for, and maybe because we have yeah. such a wider diversity of types of food. It might be also like the busting get. food scene that's just like kind of popping up now. And it's yeah, like, and it's, and I just realized too, like Chili's is supposed to be Mexican, but it's not. You know, like it's like clearly American food. Right. Like in in South Florida, there's not a lot of Mexicans, and mm-hmm. the Mexican restaurants, it's like Taco Bell and Chili's, and maybe a few taquerias, but not mm-hmm. much. Um, and I never liked Mexican food until I moved to Los Angeles and had, sense. and then like went to a restaurant <laughs> in East LA and was like, Oh, this is Mexican food. Okay. Yeah. We're, we get way spoiled here yeah. when it comes to that stuff. Um, I was just, I just did a residency in France a couple of months ago mm. and I was seeing like tacos advertised all over the place. And so I looked into it. I'm like, this is not, it's like flatbread with meat in it. It was like not a taco. Yeah. But I'm like, it's interesting that they're, like, they're, like, taking the idea of it with, like, this dough thing, but it's, like, more bread there because it's, like, France. Mm. It's not, like, a corn shell. Yeah. Or even, like, it's a flour wheat. shell. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, a doughy kind of flatbread huh. with meat in it. But I did see, like, at a lot of places they would have, like, guacamole. Is it more stuff. like a pita? Yeah. Like, kind of like that. It was, like, a flatbread pita. It was, like, grilled. I'm just like, this is really weird. This is not taco, but I'm sure it tastes good. Like, I saw it as kind of like a, it was like little the little village. I was out kind of in the country. I wasn't in like a major city. But, but it's it was pretty hybrid. Up. Like, that's, that's yeah. fusion food. That's for, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty interesting. That's great. There was a place on Sautel that was selling crepes, but it was definitely like Japanese-influenced crepes, and they would roll it like a sushi mm-hmm. hand roll. With, like, savory they stuff They would put the same or? stuff you would get in a normal crepe, so okay. you could get, like, a sweet one or a savory one. Yeah. 
but it was really strange to eat it that way it. instead yeah. of the way a regular French crepe, traditional French crepe would be. That reminds me of the ramen burger, where like the burger's buns are just like ramen noodles. <laughs> yeah. And they're just like like hydrated enough to like be soft, but they're like in a bun shape. It's really interesting. Well, this has been a really yeah. interesting, fabulous conversation. I'm so, I'm glad you wanted. Yeah, this was cool. This was it. fun. Thanks like, for you're making my dream come true. My first podcast. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Mm-hmm.